Okay. So here goes. We're going to have some time for questions, uh, same as always, but I, I have my timer. So here goes. Yes, can we be like a child? And then can we enter the kingdom? Here's the verse about that. Truly I say to you, unless you're converted and become like children, you will not enter into the kingdom of heaven. So we've taken a serious look at that, taken it as a serious topic. We started it actually in uh, Thursday study at your house. So we had that first message the following week. Last week we had the second. There was some time in travel. And now we're on the third one. And I want to get this point uh, I want to get to today. So here is what John says. And this was what we ended on last week, which as serious as this question is, and I, I just put it up there for effect, but I mean it seriously. Can we enter the kingdom of heaven? Because Jesus says unless we're converted and become like children, we won't. And that was an interesting point that came out in the study on Tuesday. Sonny brought up the fact of how easy it is for us to think both negatively, we observed that among ourselves as we were talking, and we're going to see an instance of that today, and that we have a tendency to push this concept of entering the kingdom off into the future, as if there's something we have to do now to become a child that will permit us to enter the kingdom in the future. But what Sonny was pointing out is he says, aren't we engaged in the kingdom right now? And the answer to that is yes. And it really revealed just how difficult it is for us to think that way sometime. So this is the one that, that we came up at the end of last week in John, First John. See how great a love the Father has bestowed on us that we would be called the children of God, and such we are. Such we are. And so I realized I found myself projecting into the future to try to give the proper emphasis to who, how to become a child. But John says, we are children. So the issue is not as much becoming as it is recognizing. And I think back to when Jesus was having the conversation with Nicodemus, and Nicodemus' initial response was, when Jesus said, you must be born again, he said, when a man is old, can he return to his mother's womb and be born again? So he was also thinking transactionally rather than relationally. And so I think there's something here for us to learn. For this reason, the world does not know us because it did not know him, beloved. Now we are children of God. All right, so this is a corny technique, but I want you to say, now we are children of God. All right, let's say it a little more enthusiastically now that you know what I'm asking. Now we are children of God. All right, keep that in mind as we move forward. So, uh, whoops, wrong way. Got to get my thing down here. First John reveals our present tense identity, and so in some way, God sees and knows you as a child. And this was the thing that began to give me some hope as I saw the message begin to form. Because if it's up to me to become a child, then we're all still just working for something that we may or may not be shooting in the right direction for. But if God already sees us that way, which is what I infer from this passage of Scripture, that he knows us as children, then what we're doing is the same thing we're always trying to do, which is to come into agreement with God see the world the way he sees it. Does that make sense? So that's got to be an easier situation. So recognizing ourselves as a child, and so here's the topic I want us to talk about today, our innocence. So are all of you comfortable talking about your innocence? Or if you'd be honest with me, how many of you thought, uh, innocence, and there was a little catch in the get-along because of 
a million things. And I, I know uh, I was just up in Washington. Vicki and I were in a theological roundtable where it was obvious as the discussion went on in the middle of the day that a lot of us were still struggling with the concept of being innocent. Not that we use those words, but it was just there was always something that are we going to step across a line? Are we going to violate holiness? Are we going to violate something? Uh, you know, the, uh, about us doing wrong things or whatever the case is. And so innocence, you know, I didn't just pull it out of a hat. There's a scripture here. So here's a link between childlikeness and innocence. And I believe that innocence is going to become one of the testimonies to your being a child and me being a child. Philippians 2, 14 and 15 is the passage. Do all things without grumbling or disputing so that you will prove yourself to be blameless and innocent. Children of God, above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you appear as lights in the world. Okay, so this scripture really stirs up my hope and my belief and my passion for who we are, is that we have the chance to actually appear as lights in the world. And, you know, obviously Paul's thinking was rooted pretty deeply in what Jesus said. Jesus said he was the light of the world. He says you're the light of the world. City set on a hill doesn't hide itself. You don't put a lamp under a bushel. But I've always thought of that more as a work or more as a manifestation of me being a, a disciple or a disciplined person than the fact that, as John talked about it, little children, it hasn't yet appeared, but you are now children of God. And so this call for Jesus to become converted and be like a little child is not a foreign concept of who we're made to be. That's why last week I put at the end of it, we weren't made to be adults. And I was going to take the next logical step, because we discussed this some on Tuesday too. I was going to take the next step, and I was going to say, okay, I know Paul says, you know, that when I was a child, I felt like a child. And when I was, and there's a ton to, to study in there, I'm going to get to it. But I don't want to do that right now. And I felt like the Lord said, no, focus on this thing of innocence for just a little bit. Because it gives us something concrete to do. Okay? It gives us something concrete to do. So let me read it one more time. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, so that you will prove yourself. See, even there, I would have, and I know a lot of people would, have a tendency to interpret that first verse as a command that we need to follow. In other words, okay, we're not supposed to grumble. And we're not. And we're not supposed to be disputing and debating and all that kind of stuff. So we could get into the detail. But the point is not so that you can become blameless, as if you're at fault in the beginning. It's so that you can prove your blamelessness. And I don't fully understand it, but it says it right there. So that you will prove yourselves to be, not to be being becoming. Yeah, Jim. Uh, we're going to get into that. That's what all these are for. Yeah. And it's really, it's, it's a, it's a brilliant question and it's an amazing point. So Jim asked, is, is innocence or blamelessness the same thing as righteousness? And, uh, I'm not sure we'll have a, a satisfactory answer at the end, but we'll at least look at the question. So innocent here, uh, is this word, uh, akara iosis, akara ios. And it's the word that's used here for innocent, and it means, uh, it's a very simple meaning. It means unmixed. But I want to tell you something. It's the, about the only simple word associated with innocence. And that's what all these are for. And then blameless is amemptos, which is faultless, and hence it's translated blameless. Now let me show you. There's something about these two Greek words we're going to talk about a little bit more. But A in front of a word like that is the negation. 
So that means not mixed. And so you come up with the concept of unmixed or pure. Not corrupt, not mixed. And this is the same thing. Not with fault. Okay? So uh, uh, let's define childness. Am I pushing the right button? By innocence. Here's the definition. This is just a regular definition. Definition one is the state, quality, or fact of being innocent of a crime or an offense. And definition two is a lack of guile or corruption or purity. That's just like a Merriam-Webster definition. You notice that both of these things are sort of uh, a little bit of a negation kind of thing. So our trouble with our own innocence, I think, is that we have too many definitions, especially biblical definitions and concepts, and we have too little faith. And that's the point I want to really try to make. And I have 11 minutes and 29 seconds to do it. Yay. All right, so too many definitions. Let me get this going and show you. All right, I gave you that one definition. Of all of these are Greek words that are translated uh, in one translation or another, innocent. And all of these are translated in the New American Standard, too, because that's what I was originally studying about. Here's one called katharos, okay? So in, in Greek, it's katharos. And that means clean. And you can you can get a little sense of that word like cathartic, where you're getting all the the dirty stuff out. It also uh, leads to ceremonially clean. There's about 25 or 27 uses of this. A particular one that would make some sense to you is in Acts 20, where Paul is done preaching and he's being run out of town. I think in Ephesus or someplace, and he says, I am clean of the blood of all men. So meaning it's all, it's away from me. All right, here's another one that's not a negation, and it is the word hagnos. Hagnos means ritually clean. And in a lot of times, it's uh, written as Legally clean, or sometimes it's even translated holy, okay? So that would be one. And that's in the New Testament, too. It's used that way. Where was the passage? John 5, 3, uh, I don't remember. Okay, anyway, we'll get to it. But that's one of the words. So those are the two that don't have a negation, and here's the last one. Dikaios. And this is the one that is translated innocent, but is at the root of the meaning of righteous. Or, uh, what's, what was it? Uh, yeah, just. Okay. Um, the centurion, standing at the foot of the cross, used this word when he said, surely this is an innocent man. Or surely this is a righteous man. Okay, so that's what that one is. Now, those are the three words that are not built on negations. Now we start going into that. So here's another one. So those are positive, and then these are negations. And this one is anaitos. So here you have this negation right there, meaning not, and etos is accused. So it means not accused or not accusable. Okay? So one of the ones translated... Oh, where, did I put, where was that at? That was in... Uh, 
Jesus is teaching, and he says, why is it that the priests, when they were, uh, or that David's men, when they were gathering food, were not guilty of breaking the law? You know, so they were innocent of breaking the law, is the way it's translated. Uh, here, I'm about to lose you guys. You're going to doze off, but this is worth it. Hang on, I'll get to it. So here's one, uh, and this one is Athos. Simple er, word. Athos is the word that Pilate used, I mean that uh, Judas used, when he said, I have taken money for the life of an innocent man. And the Pharisees go, they don't care. So uh, Athos has to do with penalty. So this word is, is penalty. Penalty, sorry. And so this is without penalty. And the same thing is the word that was used by Pilate when he washed his hands and said, I am guilty, I am not guilty of the blood of this innocent man. So this is not penalty, not accused. Here's one, next one. Amomnos. Amomnos, ah, again, is the negation. And momnos means blemished. And if you were to take this back to the Septuagint, it would be like a lamb that had a flaw on it that wasn't acceptable. So uh, this means blemished, and this means not blemished. Not blemished. Okay. And yeah, all of these are translated. Um, all of these are translated in one way or another uh, as innocent. Okay. Here's another one. Ah, kakos. There's our negation. Kakos means worthless. And it's sometimes translated evil. But its fundamental meaning is worthless. So it means not worthless. Okay? Not worthless is used to describe innocence. In Hebrews 7.26, it says, uh, to have such a high priest, holy, innocent, and undefiled. Okay? Meaning our high priest is not worthless. And then the last one I've got here is Akerios. Uh, Akerios. And this means um, harmless, harmless, or not uh, let's see, innocent as far as evil. Oh no, I'm sorry, it's the wrong one. Forget that. This I told you about. This one just simply means unmixed. Kyriosis mixture like being soiled or mixed. This is also translated pure. So here's the point of why I'm saying too many definitions. Too many definitions that are all based on negations. In other words, I'm not this, I'm not this, I'm not this, I'm not this, is the only way we have to talk about being innocent. And children don't define innocence that way. They don't live it out that way. They don't do anything. There is a curse on our language 
where we can only identify ourselves as not the thing we fear. And to define ourselves as not something we don't want to be is not a very affirmative statement. And somehow we have to embrace this last one, or the, the one, and that's why I wanted to go back and... This one, okay? This one is just unmixed. I'm pure. I don't have a ton of mixture in me. And that's that last one. Okay. That's too many definitions, too little faith. I don't even want to talk about that. I mean, I don't have time to write a whole bunch of stuff up there, but here's the summary of this. So innocence is unmixed, simple, and pure. The righteous idea, Jim, is in this innocence thing, but it's attached to all the things we're not, as opposed to some sort of statement of who we are and what we're doing. And so the reason I said that we have too many definitions, I mean we have too many that are based upon looking at the things we wish we weren't. And the truth is, I understand why we do it. Because there's evidence of us being those things from time to time in our lives. So somebody would say, well, should I not do that? And the answer is, yes, we must not do that. But how do we not do that? Well, we have to believe this. We have to believe that statement in John. We have to realize that we, in fact, are blameless and innocent. There's a million other places. We studied what Jesus did in, in um, Colossians chapter 1, that he presents us holy and blameless before the Lord. Both of those words are in this stack of innocent words, just a different way they're translated. Then First John says again that we would be called children of God, and such we are. So this is why I want us to say, and such we are, and now we are children of God, and say it with some sign of affirmation, because we don't use our faith in this area. We use it to try to pay our bills or grow our church or heal somebody, and those are all fine. But, so this is the Young's literal translation, okay? Galatians, Paul says, For I through law did die, that to God I may live. With Christ I have been crucified, and I live no more, do I? And Christ doth live in me, and that which I now live in the flesh, in the faith I live of the Son of God, who did love me and did give himself for me. I do not make void the grace of God, for if the righteousness be through love, then Christ died in vain. Let me read that in the New American Standard, but I, I called up the, the Youngs so that you guys would understand that it's not just me making something up or us making something up when we look at that passage in Galatians and say that the faith we're living by is literally Jesus' faith. It's not our faith in him, but that's the way it says it in here. So Galatians 2.19 reads this way in a more familiar translation. For through the law I died to the law so that I might live to God. Okay? I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. Virtually every modern translation does that in spite of the fact that that is a genitive case and it means of every other place you use it. It's, it's, it's genitive, nominative, faith of Christ. All right, so what I'm trying to say is the authority for me to say to you that you and I are children of God 
is based on what God revealed through John and a million times that Jesus talked about it. It's a task, but it's a task that is coming from the eyes of God, the heart of God toward us. And our job, as much as I want to go through the details about, uh, you know, being in, all this kind of stuff, our job is to use our faith to believe what God says about us. And if we have to analyze our innocence and our stature as children based on looking at the evidence of our life day after day after day, we're going to have a really hard time believing. We're going to have a really hard time believing. And so what my call for us to do today is to uh, just take a minute or two. What is it, 728? Take a minute or two and um, just close your eyes and just make an effort to believe God about you and about your innocence. And I don't know how it's exactly going to manifest, but I believe that the Holy Spirit is into imparting to us the truth. So, Father, I pray for those of us in the room and those of us on Zoom. Holy Spirit, I ask you to reveal how the Father sees us as children. I ask you to reveal how he sees us as innocent. Not just randomly, but because of the work of Jesus. Help us see us. Help me see me like you see me. And help me identify as the child that I am in your sight.